To get started here this morning, let's do a little recap on uh, what we had yesterday. And before we do that, uh, let's sing this, this song. If you would, once again, would you stand, please? <coughs> <coughs> Far down the ages now, much of her journey done. The pilgrim church pursues her way until the crown be won. No one kingdom in our view. We're going to skip uh, the Hebrew Shema this morning for uh, the sake of time. Um, Sorry, stand again, please. Let's quote this with a passion, and I'm not here to excite excite a false false passion, but let's, if this is our heart's cry, to follow the Lord and to, to become as the person of Jesus Christ, Let's say, say, say the Shema from our hearts. Say it after me. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, yesterday I went over, over the idea with you that the Eastern way of thinking in the context that the Bible was written in is called Eastern thinking, and they think context. It, they don't abstract their, their scriptures from where it was in to start, start with. They leave it in its context and study it in its con- context. <coughs> now, the Jews say that, well, they refer to Egypt as the land of bondage, and we do too. We refer to, uh, don't go there. We, that's the land that we were in bondage, and the Lord at Passover brought us out. Now, when Joseph was sold into Egypt by his brothers, and you all know the story, and then Jacob, Israel, and his other sons went down there to, to Joseph, and Pharaoh gave to Joseph's family the land of, of Goshen. And when they left, it was 70, 70 people that left. The Bible says it was three score and ten. Well, Pharaoh gave to Joseph and his family, Israel, the most fertile land, I believe, on the planet. As I said yesterday, the topsoil, they say, is over 100 feet deep because the Nile floods. Egypt is the gift of, uh, of the Nile. That's a slogan that, that they have. And Pharaoh gave them that land. Now, I have never been there. Now, I heard so, some of you may, may, may have went. Is that where, where you were? Now, if, 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 if we understand where, where God placed them, He placed them in a land where everything would grow. It's, it's, it's among, among the land, it's among the most, it's, it's the best farmland you could find anywhere. And everything w- would grow. They had everything. They did not have, they did, were not in need of anything that they did not have, and they had more than what they needed. And you all don't know the story how how Pharaoh looked at them and said they are multiplying. And he was afraid they would rise up and conquer them. Bible says there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. Now, you can't persuade me that the Pharaoh never heard of who Joseph was. I'm sure he heard of him. But he didn't know him. It was after Joseph had passed on and he never had, he didn't know the heart of Joseph. And the other Pharaoh did. So he put him into, into, into slavery. You all, you, you all know the story how, how, how they were put in, into slavery and how the taskmasters become harder. Well, the Jews say God knew that he had to put them under such bondage or they would never leave. And the land that 
Egypt was not what God had in mind for his, his people. Well, that's where he sent them to, but that was, he had a better land that he promised to Abraham, a land flowing with milk and honey. But it was not there. So they put him into bondage. Now this is the way Jews see it. They put it into bondage so they would be willing to leave. Because if, you, if they had everything, they had it nice, they would have never left. Now, their gods, and I'm just starting to stu study this, Egypt has, and not just e Egypt, all, all the pagans have hundreds of gods. And they have a god for everything. If, I mean, they have a god of, of the thunder, which is Baal. They had, they, they had Baal and Asherah, and uh, I mean, it was just... Hundreds of gods. If you, if you spit, they had a god for spit. I mean, if you combed your hair, they had a god for your hair. It was, they had a god for everything. And if you really study the Exodus story, the plagues that God, through Moses, brought to the Egyptians hit their gods in the nose every single time. I mean, just the very blood vein of their god was severed. Because the thing that happened was what their God did. Their God, like, like the Nile, was the blood artery in their myth for the God Ramses. What happened to the Nile River? Turned into blood. And everything died. And Ramses was to give life. I mean, that's just one. The, the, every plague was like, like that. Now, Ramses was also the god of sheep. Now, Egyptians didn't have shepherds. Well, yeah, excuse me. They did have, but they never killed sheep because their god, the, the, the god of the sheep, was a human form with a ram head, a full curl ram head, and a little stone statue of Pharaoh right in his chin. That's Ramses. Now just come with me. Come to e e Egypt that night after the ninth plague. And Moses says to the children of Israel, this is what God said, if you, tonight, God will sweep over the land and every firstborn of the children or the flock will die unless he finds the blood of a lamb on the lintel of the doorpost. And in Egypt, if you killed a sheep, you were dead. Because that was their God. Now imagine the test the children of Israel were under. Sometimes we, I always, put that Passover night and coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea as a gravy job. That was not... They, they were under pressure. I, I can see a 10-year-old boy asking, Dad, will we follow this Moses? You know what will happen if... If it don't work, we'll all be dead. And his dad said, yes, son, but 
God, the God of my fathers, has spoken. Do you think? If they knew in their hearts, if this will not work, the tribe of Israel is history. They're dead. Because killing a sheep was strictly forbidden by the God of Ramses. So, you all know the story. They, they, that's what happened. They put the blood over the doorpost, and that night God led them out. Now, <coughs> how many people left Egypt that, that night? Well, this is a, a, a debate I say nobody will ever know. I'm not here to tell you exact places and dates of the Bible. I'm here to tell you how it's like. Okay? The Bible says there were 600,000 fighting, 600, fighting men. Well, some people say there were a million, and others say there were over two, two, two million that left. I, I don't know. You, you, you make the number what you want. Let's, let's be, let's be a, a little modest, and let's say a million. Okay? If a million people left Egypt that night, how would you lead a million I mean, it, 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 it's, just, it's just stunning. Well, we know that God was there in the cloud and the rock fo- fo- followed them. But imagine that night. And then it says, the Bible, Bible says that they came up against the Red Sea. Now, they followed the cloud, okay? And the cloud led them to a place where they could not go on. How many times do you in life and do I in life follow God? We come to a place where we believe it's impossible to go on. We can't go on, but they followed God. And God led them against the Red Sea, the Bible says. And you all know the story how, how, how Moses held his stick out over, over the water, his staff, and the water parted. That is the land of bondage. Okay, now they have left. The Jews say Egypt is the land of bondage. The land of, of, of Israel, which we call Israel now, is, is, is Canaan land, the, the land that they, promised, that they were promised. The land flowing with, with, with milk and honey. And Egypt is, is, is bondage. It's the devil's land. Um, Canaan land is their, their land. God says it's the land I give to you. But... To my surprise, God has a land that he calls his land. And that's what I want to do today, is take you to God's land. And I was totally surprised what God's land is. And he calls his land the wilderness. Now, why would God's land be the wilderness? There is nothing there, and that's just a minor scale. That's the northern part of the Sinai. We hiked there in Sinai. And every single day, by noon, it was between 115 to 120 degrees. And I had two big bottles of water. And by 10 o'clock, if I would have had tea bags, it would have been perfect to make tea, tea, tea with. That water was so warm. I mean, it, and I kind of felt... What the children of Israel felt, never once do you hear the children of Israel complaining about the heat that I can read. It's always no water, no food, but never 
and I sometimes wonder why they, they didn't complain more. Because I used to be hard on, on them, but put myself in their shoes, coming out from where they, I would have done the same thing. It was, we are human. But God was still, uh, he was still unhappy. <coughs> but why? Why did God send the children of Israel to the wilderness and it took them, well, they went up to the promised land and then they were sent over spies and you know the story, they came back and they said, we can't. Two of them said, we can. God said, okay, you're going to wander for 40 more years. This is my land. I'm going to teach you something. In the desert is where God teaches. There's something about the desert that that's where God dwells. God led them out of where they had everything they needed. More than what they will ever need. God says that is the land of bondage. Brings you to a land where if manna doesn't fall from the sky and rock and water don't come out of a rock, you're going to die. God says, that's my land. Now, why the two differences? Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. God says here, could somebody bring me a... A bottle of water, please. God says here, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in, in the wilderness. The first... Thank you. The first reason was to humble thee... I got one. Thank you. First reason was to humble thee Second reason was to prove thee. And the third reason was to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep my commandments or not. So the land of the desert, the wilderness, is the land of testing. That's where God sends His people to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not where everything goes great. It's not when I have a job and I make 50000 a, a year and where I have four cars and big house. That's not where God dwells. That's what they just came from. God says it's a land of bondage. So I'm going to lead you to a land that is my land. And if manna don't fall from the sky, you're going to die, but that's where I dwell. But the reason that he led them there, and now I don't know what kind of desert you are experiencing. A loved one dies, lost your job, house burns down, you have a wreck, conflict in the... I don't know what kind of desert you are experiencing at this time. But there's one thing that I can be sure of. Whatever desert you are experiencing in your life, God is trying to humble thee, to prove thee. And the Jews say that God didn't want to know what was in the people's heart. He already knew. He wanted the people to know what was in their own heart. 
So he sent them to the wilderness. And my experience is that is when I can hear God speak. When I am down and out and I have nowhere to go, everything I try does not work. And I use God sort of as my spare, spare tire, but I'm trying to get things happening here. God does not dwell there. He dwells when I am utterly finished. I have no food left. I am thirsty. And I'm a hundred miles from the closest well. That's when God speaks. And in those times is when the intimacy of my relationship with God becomes very, very sweet. I have no idea what will happen. The, the future, to my knowledge, still looks bleak. But I tell you one thing, I am following a God by asking a servant of Him, a creation of Himself, to hold out a stick over that bleak sea that we are led up against. He can create a dry path. I believe in that Father. So, if God led you against the Red Sea and you have nowhere to, to go and it looks like you're, you're being attacked from the back, it's where God wants you. Because then God can work. Now, there are things in the wilderness that I just want to uh, speak on this morning. There, there are things in there that help us to understand what God is like. Um, the first thing I want to l- l- look at this morning... Now, okay, here is something I, I want to show to you. I don't know, uh, when, we, when we see the land, when we think of the land flowing with milk and honey, we think of, the, of a land that is fertile. Okay, the farmland in Israel is very, very, very fertile. But that is not what the land of milk and honey means in the context in the eastern, eastern setting. The land flowing with milk and honey, okay, if you are a shepherd, you do not go into the farmer's fields. Because the farmland is so small, when they crossed the, 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 the Jordan River, Joshua told Caleb and everybody to split up their, their tribes. This is your tribe, this is your tribe's farm, this is your tribe's farm, this is your tribe's farm, and those farms will stay in your family's inheritance forever. And there was not much farmland there. So they had to share, and if you have a farm the size of this auditorium, you are a very, very, very wealthy farmer. The farmland is not much. Now, what do you do if you are a, a, a shepherd? Where do you go w- with your sheep? Well, not in the far- farmland. Because if you get one sheep in a farmer's field, there is bound to be a rock throwing. And your sheep would probably end up being dead. And it still happens to this day. If the shepherds bring their farmers into the... F- farmers. If the shepherds bring their sheep into the farmer's fields before the harvest time, those sheep are likely to be killed. Because they never mix. So God says, I will bring you out of bondage out in, and I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now milk is the land of the shepherd. Because sheep and goats produce milk. Honey is, is a substance that is created by bees. And that they need the, 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 the farmer, the, the, the fields to, to uh, pollinate and 
So the land flowing with honey, they say, is the land of the farmer. So God says, I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I will bring you to a land that is room for the shepherd and a room for the farmer, and you two will get along very well. It's a land flowing with milk, all the room you want for the shepherd, and honey, all the room you want for, for, for the farmer. But there's, I don't have time to go into that, but there's one time of the year that you find a shepherd, the shepherds in the farmer's fields. And Luke says there were shepherds abiding in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night, and it was not December 25, but that's, I'll leave that later. Um, there's a whole lesson on, on that. Now, um, and by the way, this, is the, this, was, this picture was, was, was taken off of the man-made mountain by Herod, which I will speak on t- t- tomorrow. Man-made mountain by Herod called the Herodion in, in Bethlehem. Now, that little village is, is, is part of Bethlehem. You're looking east. The Dead Sea is out there. You can see it. Probably about 12 miles. That is the Judah wilderness. That's the land of the shepherd. And if you look right at the bottom of the valley where that cloud shadow is, there's an abrupt line where it rains and where it never rains. They say in the Judah, in the Judah wilderness they have not had a measurable rain in over 2,000 years. It never rains there. I know of two, of, of two brothers. One lives on that side of the line, and one lives here in that little village. And it rains there, of, uh, what is it, 12 or 14, 12 or 14 inches a year. It's not much, but they get rain there. And his brother lives two miles away and never rains there. It's just... But that's the land flowing with milk and honey through the eyes of, of the Easterners. Now, you can do with that what you want. You can say, uh-uh, that's, that's not right. Land flowing with milk and honey is, is God promised them abundance. And that is, I mean, you can, that's fine. I, I don't mind. This is the way the Easterner sees it. Now, in the wilderness, and I will talk on wadis a little later, but in the wilderness... There are wadi canyons, and in these wadi canyons are deep valleys. And, I mean, there is not a green thing for miles except a few of these, what they call broom trees. I don't know, did you study these? Okay. But a broom tree is, is a tree that needs water once every three years. Okay. And they will stay green. Now, to the north of here is Mount Hermon. And that mountain range is a limestone mountain range. And it's just like sand. If it rains, it does what sand does. I mean, you can get a pile of sand. When I was a little boy, I'd done it many times in my sandbox. I piled up this pile of sand and I I got an ice cream amulet full of of water. Ice cream bucket full of water. And I would pour it out. I would pour water on top of the sand and it would, nothing would happen. That water just stayed, stayed in there. I would pour and pour and pour. All of a sudden it would bust out the side and it would gush. That's the same thing that happens in these limestone mountains. Well, um, that's what happened there. <coughs> but, okay, what happens is up there in, in the north, it's, it, it's not on Alvin. Oh, there we go. What happens up in the north, 
they get the same amount of rain as we do at, at home, about 24 inches of rain. Okay? That's not over 120, 150 miles north. But what ha- those limestone mountains absorb all that, but they get their rain in four months' time, and we get it t- t- 12 months. That water absorbs, the mountains absorb all the water, and all of a sudden it busts out the side of the mountains, and it comes screaming down these wadis, sometimes up to 60 foot high in the first wave. I mean, when we were there, they were fixing roads and, 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 and a bridge where they just had a big wadi flood. It didn't rain there. It rained on up, way up in the mountains, but flood come through and just crashed it out. Now, in these wadi canyons, you find these broom, broom trees. Now, these broom trees, and to the west of, the, of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. And every evening, a cool sea breeze comes in from the west. And in this sea breeze, you have moisture. And in this moisture, that, they get enough moisture through that breeze, that sea breeze every night, that they can live if they get one flood every three years. They can live. Now, some biblical events that happen. Elijah, after his con- contest with the Baal prophets, a victorious, I mean, day later, Jezebel said, kill him. And he run for his life and laid himself under a broom tree and said, let me die. Hagar left with Ishmael. She laid him under a broom tree. And she went on and laid under a broom tree. Said, let me die. This is the shade tree of, his, of, of, of the land flowing with milk. The land with the, with the shepherd. Now... This is the only shade that they really have. Now, I, I don't have a, a, a better picture than that, but there is not much shade. Well, turn your Bibles to um, Isaiah 32, verse 1 and 2. There is not much shade there, but I tell you, that heat, whoever has hiked in there, the furthest we hiked in one day was nine miles. And by noon, it was 120. And, it, and I sat under that very tree. And I, I, I tell you, the little shade that I got was so sweet. It kept the scorching heat off of my head and my, my arms for a little while. You will see many shepherd girls lying underneath there That's the only shade that they have if they're shepherding, unless they find a big rock. But in Isaiah chapter 32, this is a prophecy of Jesus, of the coming Messiah. It says, Behold a king, which the Jews say will be the... And by the way, this is a long story, but I just... I was in a synagogue service at Sabbath in Israel. And I spoke to a young lady by the name of Rachel... And she wanted to, I mean, I was not a Jew. She could plainly see it. Number one, I had red hair. And over there in Israel, and I did not have a uh, yama, yarma, or whatever, yarmuk, right, on my head. <clears throat> and I was standing on the outside, so I couldn't enter in. And well, she's she seen, and then, then she, she came out and started talking. She asked me where I'm from. And I said, well... 
<coughs> I'm from, from the United States, and I am c c coming over here to, to study you, you, you people. And she said, what in the world are you doing studying us? I said, well, and I explained it to her. I said, Jesus, and she knew all about him, was one of you. And he lived like one of you. And he taught like one of you. And, if I, and I, I like to study history, and I want to study Jesus in the culture where he grew up in. I want to, that's why I want to study you. And she was, and, and then she went on, but she said she was talking about uh, the, 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 the United States being a Christian nation. And, and she said, what, why, why do you come? She couldn't understand why I come, well, we come to study her, study, not her, but them. And, and she, and, because she said, Christians hate us. And I said, ma'am, let me, let me explain you something. And I, I, I got out my wallet, and I took out a $1 bill. And I said, do you see what that says? In God we trust. United States. I said, don't believe that. That is not true. I said, the United States claims to be a Christian nation and is not more a Christian nation than Europe. Because I told her that Christians love everybody. They don't fight. They don't kill. They return good for evil. She stood there and she was just watching me. And she thought of Hitler. Germany, a Christian nation. And finally she looked and said, if everybody that believes in Jesus would be like you, I would believe Jesus is the true one. Then I discovered something. I discovered Isaiah chapter 32. This is the prophecy of Jesus Christ. A king, Jesus, shall reign in righteousness, righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. Verse 2. And now this is not talking about Jesus. This is talking about his followers. A man. A man shall be as a hiding place from the wind. The ones that follow Jesus. And this is, by the way, this is the verse she used to point out that she believes I am true. Because she said, this is what the followers of, of, the, of the Messiah will be like. Man shall be a hiding place from the wind, a culvert from the tempest, a shelter from the storm, is what it means. As rivers of water in a dry place, and as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And then I discovered that you never, 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 the Jews never, excuse me, judge a rabbi by what he says. They judge a rabbi by how his disciples live. If he was true or not. Now, why this shade? That was, a, that was a long story to come to here. But this God in the desert, in the wilderness, provides enough shade for you to make one more afternoon. Then you come to another shade. One more afternoon. One more forenoon. Then you come to another shade, shade tree. God will never supply you with what you need tomorrow. Today. 
He will, when, when tomorrow comes, He'll supply you with what, what you need then. How dare I ask for tomorrow if I'm, if I'm still living now? God promises. That was the land of bondage. That's where they came from. God said you had everything. You had everything laid up for 10 years. That's not what I want. I want people who trust me. And I'll say it again. If manna doesn't fall from the sky, and if water doesn't come from the rocks, you'll die. That's the people I want who trust me. And this is a prime prime example of shade. And by the way, that's what we are called to be in Isaiah 32. A hiding place from the wind. As a shadow of a great rock, in a, we're called to be shade. <coughs> now, the desert teaches, and I want to teach a, 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 a few other things this morning. The desert teaches, if there's one thing that I can leave with you, the desert teaches trusting and being and having enough for right now and not more. Now remember, God calls that His land. The land where I have everything is the land of bondage. Because I never learned to trust. Now there is a, a tree in the wilderness. It's called Arara. Did you study that tree? Or did you see it? Arara tree. A-R-A-R-A. Now, unless you hike into the Negev or the Sinai, way back in the boonies, you'll never see it. Because it grows in the deepest of any wilderness. The, the natives there say its roots go down 200 feet through the rock. I have no way of proving that's true, but it has to go some, somewhere because it's not in, in a wadi. It has to go some, somewhere. And this fruit... And, and the fruit that's on this tree, I mean, you're out there hiking. You've been hiking all morning. You didn't see a single green thing except the, the, these trees that I had on there. Every, every now and then you'll see one of those. And off in the distance, you see this oh, probably apple tree size bush. Looks, I mean, it is lush green. That's the only thing there. And you're like, what? And we walk up to it. And it has nice big grapefruit-sized fruit on it. Maybe a little smaller, but they're bright green. You walk up to it and you squeeze them and they're, man, they're, they feel like they're just ripe. So you pick one. And you open it up. It goes like a popping sound. And there's absolutely nothing in it. That squeezing us was air. Only thing in it is a little fine, a fine white, white powder. Now, turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Jeremiah uses that. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. 5 and 6. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man. This is from God. He's cursing the man that trusteth in man, in flesh, in his own strength, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath of the desert, 
Now, I like King, King James, but there's sometimes that I struggle, I struggle with. It says a shrub. The Hebrew, if you look on the, your par Bible CDs, whatever you got, if you look what the Hebrew word for that, it's arara. He shall be like that arara tree if you trust in your own flesh, in your own strength. You will look good, you will look green, but if somebody interacts with you, you are totally empty and spiritually worthless. Now that's a desert image that Jeremiah uses that we would have never got unless we would have understood, well, what is that heath? What is, if you look good, but you are totally empty. Um... Let me move on to uh, the 23rd Psalm. Now, by the way, this is the land of the shepherd. Now, this is a B- Bedouin camp, and I'm sure that you've seen many of these. This is still, they, they perpetuate very much the lifestyle of Abraham and Isaac. Um, I mean, it's, it's very much the same. And... If you go, I don't know, did, did, did you go to one of these tents or not? Did they serve you tea? They have a tea there that is made from the stuff that they find out there. And the, there were 55 of us in our group, 55 uh, high school students, same, same as. We went, and we come to one of these uh, of, of these places, <coughs> and our our guide our guide knew knew them, and he said, "Well, these people didn't find out that we were showing up. Fifty five, they had no idea we were even in the nation. We and they didn't find out we are arriving until fifteen minutes before fifty five people showed up at their tent. We showed up, and I tell you, now these are Muslims, very very strong." But these are some of the most hospitable people you can find. That is their heart's cry, is serving. Now, if I come into their tent, I am their guest. I am their property. And if somebody would come to kill me, they would give their life to protect me. Now that's very, that it's, it's exactly the same way it was with Abraham and I, 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 Isaac and them. And they are so willing to serve. And if you show up, you are not leaving until you have something to eat or, or, or drink. I mean, you can't understand a word they're saying there. But they want to serve you. That's, that's what they want to do. Now, they give us a tea. And this was the sweetest tea. I, 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 it was so good. The little glass cups. Now they, now, they come out there with 55 glass cups. A little Bedouin tent. Where did they keep these? That tells me some, some, something about them. They are accustomed to serve. They are ready to serve. Because they keep these. And we come in there, and in 15 minutes to 20 minutes, they had the tea ready, and they were baking unleavened bread for us on the one of them round. I mean, it was, it was so neat. But what we didn't know, well, 
before we went in, our guide said, our guide said, uh, never say no. Always eat what they offer. If they offer you something and you say no, that's like spitting in their face because they are serving God by serving you. And if you say no, you are taking their opportunity away from serving God. And I think that's our problem too. If we just lay down our pride to let other people serve, serve us, and if we say no, it can be an issue of pride. Think about it. You, I mean, we are Americans. You know, we, we can take care of our own selves. You know, we, we have a job. If we aren't willing to be served, we have a spiritual problem. And he told us before we go in, never say no. Nobody likes to eat sheep eyes. Or, you know, but we didn't know what we... He just said, never say no. I mean, the stuff we had was very good. But So we went in. And... In their, in, in their custom, they come and they fill up that, your little cup, teacup. You drink, fill it up, drink, fill it up. And he, the teacher never tells us that if you leave a little bit in the cup, that means you're done. But if you drink it, and he told us before we go in, never say no. <laughs> so you drink, they're right there to fill it up. You drink, yeah, you, know, you fill it up. And, cause, and finally you discover... Leave a little bit in the cup. That means you're, you're done. Now, to this day, in the, in the Bedouin tents, they call that the overflowing cup. David grew up, the one who wrote the 23rd Psalm, not 10 miles from, from here. And he was one of them, a shepherd boy. And he said, my cup runneth over. If you want to experience God, drink. He'll fill it. Drink. Drink. Your cup was never empty. God always fills your cup. Once you're done with God, quit drinking. He won't fill. Because you're done. So if your walk with God is shallow, or you're struggling, or your problem is you're not drinking. That, That moved me. That comes right out of their culture. And I never knew that. There's more. <clears throat> Here's where they live. I mean, there's... That's land where God dwells. There's where they... Now, you ought to be wondering one thing. There ought to be something in your mind. What do those sheep eat? I mean, are those... What do they eat? Because it's the land of the shepherd. Has been for thousands of years. And it still is to this day. (coughs) Well, as, as I said, there is a sea breeze coming in from the west. Off of the Mediterranean Sea. Every night, there is a moisture. And by the way, the temperature in the Sinai drops from 120 degrees by noon, about every single day, to a lot of times 40 degrees at night. That's why, and and their symbol for heat is the sun. 
Okay? The sun creates heat. So if they talk about the sun, the heat of the sun, what would their symbol be for the moon? Uh, I said it. What would their symbol be for the cold? The moon. Well, it's same as here. A lot of times if it's full moon, it gets real cold. That's why the psalmist writes, The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The heat shall not get you, and the cold shall not get you, if you are in God's will. And there's a whole session just on that one verse. But what do these sheep eat? Well, that sea breeze comes in from the west, and every night, and I, don't, I, I looked before I came, and I, couldn't, I have a little tuft of grass that I picked right there. Every night on the western-facing slopes, behind the rocks, that moisture builds up, and there are, sea, there are little tufts of grass start to grow. And they grow in about five hours' time. They grow from zero to about, I've seen some, eight inches tall. And by noon or by two o'clock, that grass is withered and gone. That's as faithful as the rising of the sun. It never has not been there. And this come from a Muslim man. The, the teacher that I studied with, he was out there sleeping one night with two, with two, two of, uh, of his Muslim um, students that he, well, not students, but c- c- colleagues he was studying with. And they were in their be- bedrolls, had their tents, and in his stupor of waking up in the morning, he seen a shepherd girl coming with a flock of sheep down one of these hill- hillsides. This is one of his fir- first times there. And he was watching her, and he poked his, his Muslim colleague beside him and said, what do those sheep eat? And he, he la- they laughed at him, because here was a guy that had a master's in seminary and didn't know what sheep ate. <laughs> I mean... But the Muslim did something, the Muslim did something that just about blew his socks off of his feet. He started quoting the, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord leads me into the green pastures. David, not five miles from here, was a shepherd boy. And he wrote this. The Lord leads me beside, uh, into green, green pastures. That's, that grass is called, to this day, green pastures. That's where they take their sheep to, to, to graze. And that is so faithful, but by 2 o'clock, it is gone. And if the sheep do not follow their shepherd, they're guaranteed to die. They'll never make it, because they don't know where, the, where the, the, the grass is. They have to follow the shepherds. The shepherds know. But why aren't those sheep worried? Those sheep are getting mouthful to mouthful to mouthful. Well, the reason they're not worried, they have a shepherd. They will follow that shepherd. Now, do they worry about, about tomorrow's food? No. God will bring tomorrow's grass exactly the same way. He'd, he, I mean, I have no way of proving that, but I know he will. It's trust. And now, Jesus, and now David uses that. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me into green pastures. Now, I, I look at the society that I was brought up in, I grew up in, I live in. We want everything tomorrow. Ah, excuse me. Now. We want tomorrow's stuff laid up, all spread out nice and neat. And by the way, I am a guy that is organized. I like my stuff planned out. And this has been a problem 
in, in, in my life. To simply try, and I believe in being neat and organizing, but I can think of things that, I could, that could happen to me next Monday morning flying home that I couldn't handle. I mean, we could have a wreck, crash the plane, and I would be, I mean, and I would be paralyzed for life. Now, if I knew that is true, I would really struggle right now. But see, God will provide... Because I don't have the grace to go through that experience now. Tomorrow that grace will come. The things that I experience tomorrow, God will give me the grace for that and not a second before it happens. How dare I ask for... Worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems with, with today's grass. And it don't work. So if the desert teaches you one thing, I want you to understand... That it teaches, I have enough for right now and not an ounce more. And I will trust the Lord tomorrow for the things I will face tomorrow. Maybe that's why God calls it His, his land. It's where, he, it's where God dwells. There's... I mean, it's what do they? I mean, it, it, it's nothing there. Now, coming back to these wadis, well, I want to make this real, real quick. This is a wadi canyon that runs down out of the north from the foot of Mount Hermon. Now, I told you about those floods. Well, this is the land of the shepherd. Now, a sheep, a sheep will follow the shepherd regardless where he goes. A sheep will follow the shepherd, and if the shepherd makes a straight line, the sheep will. And he comes over here, the sheep comes. Comes over here, the sheep comes. A goat will come straight, straight across. I mean, it's just... And, and, what, what, and if you are in one of these wadis, nine months out of twelve, you are in a dangerous place. Because there's not a cloud in the sky... Hasn't rained here for 2,000 years. And all of a sudden, here comes a big wave. And washes everything. Here in 2008, there were two shepherd girls with about 70 sheep in the bottom of, these, of the, one of these wadis. And one of these floods came through, and it washed, it killed everything. They found one girl 20 miles away. And sheep scattered. From where it happened until, let I me mean just, there were sheep everywhere. I mean, that's one of these wadis. It's a dangerous place. Unless you know what time of the year it is. So, it's very, very, very important that the sheep follow their shepherd. Because if they don't, they're, 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 they could easily be, be killed in an instant. Now, here is the, the Jericho Road that goes from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Now, if you look, and whoever wrote "There's room for just two has never has never walked walked that road yet, because a lot of times there's only room for just one. <laughs> but that's a wadi there. Okay, you, you you can see where. And if you look at the green things, they're in the bottom, but not up up, up top, because they, they they get water there about once every three four years. Now here is. What a flood 
looks like in one of them wadis. And it hasn't rained there for 2,000 years. Okay? And where the waters leave, then after about a day or two, the waters leave and leave this. When they cross the, the, the corner, there's just still a pool of water there. Okay, now if you have this much water in the bottom of, of a wadi, there's two options. You've got two reasons. Either there's a spring there, or it's in the, in the season for, 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 for the floods, and a flood has just went. And the only person who will know that is the, is the, the, the shepherd. The sheep have no clue. If the sheep could, would go down in there and drink of that, they could be killed instantly. Looks good. There's nothing wrong with the water, but it's where the water is. Now think of your, your, your life. That, by the way, that's called still waters. Quiet waters. It's not the flood waters. It's quiet. David said, the Lord leadeth me beside the still waters. Now if you look into your wadi of life, and as youth, and I am, I am still a, a youth. I'm 27. And we are thirsty. We, as human people, we like to drink of things. We have a passion for some, something. And we look into the wadi of life. That water looks mighty, mighty good. So we want to drink. And if the Holy Spirit, your shepherd, says no... We may not understand it, but I'm going to back, 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 back away because there's something not right. That's why you and me as a Christian, without following the shepherd's call, Jesus Christ in person, we will never make it spiritually. We will drink of waters that will kill us unless we heed the call of the shepherd. Now, which one is you? The goats always know a better way. Seriously, I think that's why Jesus... I don't know why the ink is bad. And I think that's why Jesus uses that. He will separate the sheep from, from the goats because the sheep will follow the shepherd and goats always know their own way. Anyway, there's one other place I want to take, take, take you. And if you're there in the wilderness, <coughs> you are hiking. I mean, there's no water. The only water there is the flood, flood, flood water besides one place. And Getty. Were you there? You saw it. It's, and it's, it, it's, you wouldn't believe it. You're in Israel, in the wilderness, and you are hiking... And there's not a green thing for miles. And all of a sudden you hear this rushing of water. And you walk into this little rainforest. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's, it's birds are singing everywhere. And I mean, I thought I was in heaven. I mean, it, it was because there were birds were everywhere. And there was little, uh, the little deer. Anyway. There was wildlife, and it was rainforest, and it was, I mean, it, it was just beautiful, a mist coming. This was in the wilderness. And this is what they call living water. Cisterns are water that you bring into a cistern, you know, and you, cistern, cistern water, you, it's a holding tank, okay? 
living water flows and comes into that by themselves. It, 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 it can't be, be, be carried by man, or it's no longer living. Living water flows there by itself. Now, this, and you are there, and it, it, it is... It is the most, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Here's some more photos of it. And Jesus says, I am the living water. Now, if you read Isaiah 32, that verse that I quoted, 32, 1 and 2, we are supposed to be rivers of living water in a dry and weary land. Let's say you, brother, are struggling. I am called, as a follower of Jesus, by the prophecy of Isaiah, to be that to you. I am to be that living water. I am to be that shade for, for you. Those, that is the fruits, according to Isaiah, and the Jews believe that this is the way the followers of Jesus will be, when followers of the Messiah will be when the Messiah comes. They will be rivers of living water in a dry and weary land. Now come with me to one other place. Turn your Bibles to um, John chapter 7. Verse 37 and 38. Now, Jews have seven feasts. And this one feast that they have every fall is called Sukkot. And Sukkot is a feast of booths. It's the same, same thing. Tabernacles. Okay? And Solomon dedicated the first temple on that feast. And he prayed, and it's, it, it's in the last part of September, the first part of uh, October, the harvest is out. They have just planted the, the, the crops, and they are praying to God for, for, for rain. And they actually bring their booths, uh, they actually bring their, 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 their tents and stuff, like the, the Jewish people now would, would e erect the tent in the front yard and live in that tent for seven days. Just a reminder of how they dwelled, you know, in the wilderness. You know, it's, it's called... And it's a great time. It's a time of rejoicing, and it's a time when... It's like, we, we do that with Last Supper, you know. I mean, it, it, it's a time that we commemorate something. And that's basically... But they, Solomon dedicated the first temple at that feast. And in that feast, he prayed for rain. Because it was right at the harvest time, the harvest was done, new crops were in. So they needed rain. So, <clears throat> they were praying for rain, and they call rain living water. Because it comes by itself from God, it's living, it gives life, it's living water. Now, they would, every, every, they, 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 they call that festival, I mean, they, they call that, that celebrating time, uh, Hoshana Rabbah. And Hoshana Rabbah is the time when it's, they have seven days of, of, of the feast, actually eight days, but seven days that they, the priest gets a pitcher and walks the ramp up to the altar in the temple. 
and holds it up. And by the way, the people have, it's a long story, but the people have, have palm, palm branches and are waving these palm, palm branches and saying, Lord, please send us rain, send us rain, send us rain. Hoshina, Hoshina, send us rain. And the priest walks up, uh, up to the altar and pours, there's, there is nothing in it, but acts like he's pouring the water in the drink offering funnel. But there is nothing in it. And the crowd goes nuts. Hoshina, Hoshina, Hoshina. They're, they are praying for rain. Send this rain. And the priest walks down the ramp and goes to the spring, to the pool of Salom. Takes a ha- half hour to do that walk. With this picture, gets a, a pitcher of water, comes back up, walks up the ramp, and the city falls silent. I missed something. He does that for seven days. There is nothing there. On the eighth day, he walks there. And it's the last and the greatest day of the feast. He walks up there on the eighth day with that water. The city falls silent. And he pours that water in the drink offering funnel. And the city goes nuts. Because they know God will keep His promise and send them rain. They say, Josephus writes, Hoshana Rabbah was so loud with the chant in Jerusalem, you could hear it in Bethlehem four miles away. Now come with me one day. Bible says, it was the last and the greatest day of the feast. I see a rabbi standing in the back with 12 followers. And as the city falls silent on that eighth day, and as that priest walks up, now I don't know when it happened, but there's only one time of that whole city, of that whole day, when somebody can speak that the people can hear. It's so loud. And the city falls silent at that time. And I see a man called Jesus Say, read John, says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And they said, kill him. Now why? I mean, they didn't say it. He didn't say it there, but they wanted to kill him. Now, why, what was Jesus saying? The very verse that Jewish Rachel quoted to me said that's the prophecy of, the, of, of, of Jesus. Isaiah 32, 1 and 2. Followers of Jesus will be rivers of living water. And Jesus says, if any man drinks of me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. And the Jews knew instantly that he was saying he's a prophecy of Isaiah 32, 1 and 2. 
See, we don't understand that. Jesus didn't say, I am the Messiah. But he said, if any man comes to me and drink out of his belly, Isaiah says, the followers of the, the, the disciples of Jesus will be rivers of living water. I don't know what that does to your soul, but it moves me. Jesus didn't say it. He could have said it, and he did sometimes say that he is the son of... But he chose to hint at Scripture and how God established the feast. And I could... That's a whole other week of obsessions, the seven feasts. How Jesus fulfilled every one of them except one so far. How God established that. In the context that the Bible was in. The Bible becomes alive. Now it doesn't change a single thing that I was taught. But it deepens it. Jesus is our source of living water. Not the living. He is the living water. But he calls you and me to be the bearers. The channel. From the throne of the Almighty in glory. To the drunk in New York City. The only way we can do that is if we're cleansed and purified by the Holy Spirit. 